0: Well, we just celebrated Thanksgiving and I would re- be remiss if I didn't have some kind of comment about it. And it's just my favorite time of the year, my favorite holiday by far. Um, it always begs the question, what is Thanksgiving? Right, we just saying how great is thy faithfulness. Uh, what what amazing words to anchor in on to when you, when you think about Thanksgiving, it's, understanding who God is and how faithful God is. And, and if you don't understand how faithful God is, if you don't understand that God is a deliverer, um, a protector that he, he provides and, and he offers grace and mercy, well, then you won't be grateful and you won't be thankful. When I think of the pilgrims, uh, for them to, to, be on the journey that they were on from England to Holland, back to England, and then across the Atlantic. When, when they celebrated the first Thanksgiving, it was from a grateful heart. They were, they were grateful to finally be um, in their promised land. And they were, they were resting on uh, the, the grace and the sovereign hands of the Lord. Now, it wasn't an easy path, and yet they were thankful. Thankfulness is gratitude. And when you don't acknowledge God, then you won't develop a, a, a grateful and, and, a, and an attitude uh, that is, is thankful. And so what comes a, as part of that is, is everything, all the, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Uh, we have to be thankful. We have to understand His authority his plan. And in fact, history is his story, right? It's his story as he's laying it out. And so when we start to think that, no, it's it's about us. It's about, it's about me. It's about my joy. It's about what I want. It's about my way. Well, then we miss the big picture. Then we completely miss the big picture. And then we start to focus in on all the pain and the struggle because there will be pain and struggle. Life is not easy. Um, And so we start to hear all the noise. We start to see all the problems and our, our joy just evaporates because we aren't grateful. The pilgrims, they understood this. They had clear understanding. They had to flee their homes. For, for several years before they even made it to America, they were about a hundred people. They were a, a, a small church, much like ours. And, and yet together they endured great hard hardship. In fact, in the first year, 102 of them, 102 of them came across the Atlantic, 45 died within the first year. Think about that. Those numbers just, cut a line in the middle, right down the middle of our church and just half of the people gone. These are people that they spent 10 to 15 years with already. These are family. These are are friends that are closer than family. And yet kind of the end of that or the culmination of that was to thank God. Well, again, without acknowledging God, we become easily rattled. I mean, just look at your TV. If you want to see people go berserko, right? They go, they're going crazy over climate over, you know, BLM marches over. um, I mean, really just about anything you, that they don't like creates um, peaceful demonstrations that turn out with burning and looting and fires and more rage. But there's more than that. There's gonna be car accidents in our lives. There's gonna be sicknesses. There's gonna be gallbladder problems and kidney stones and and you know problems with our eyes and our backs. We're gonna endure things, and yet we're still called to be grateful. Why? Because we're grateful in the Lord, not in those things. Um the scriptures tell us that in the end, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. This is the natural path of life. And so as we celebrate Thanksgiving and, and still coming into this understanding of, of this series where we're at right now, where we're discussing the, the biblical history of Israel and the Palestinians. See, the Palestinians don't see this. They, they don't have grateful hearts. They don't have thankful hearts. They're not thankful for the land that they're physically standing in. They're not thankful for land that is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. That seems pretty good. The, the land that is literally described by God as the land flowing of milk and honey. They're, they're included in that. And so because their, their, their vision is, is blinded, by their own personal desires. They can't see what they truly have. And so the result of that again is is rage. And we're not here to be political. We're not here to pick sides, but it, it's really easy. We We pick the side that doesn't take innocent women and children as hostages. I mean, if that's all you knew about the situation, that would be enough, but there's more there's more and we know that we've been studying that there's a there's a biblical history to this there's a long history to this this land this dirt there's a long history between the people the arab people the palestinian people the the ishmaelites the edomites and the israelites and so trying to understand this this conflict this dilemma with this current conflict last week we kind of opened up and in and, and looking at that in three ways, the promise for Israel, Israel has a promise, but yet there's a punishment for Israel. And then today we'll, we'll finish up this part two of this with the prediction of Israel. And there's three predictions for Israel. We're going to look at today. There's going to be a remnant for Israel, riches of salvation for Israel, And a restoration revealed for Israel. Well, we'll kind of catch you up a little bit here. And uh, I want to start with Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 through 16. The Lord did not set his love on you. This is speaking to the people of Israel. The Lord did not set his people on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 400 years verse 9 Now therefore that know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps his his covenant his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandment but repays those who hate him to his face to their faces to destroy them he will not delay with him who hates him he will repay to his face <clears throat> we love we love the the forgiving verses the grace verses the mercy verses but let us never forget he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them he will not delay with him who hates him, he will repay him to his face. Why is God doing this to me? Because you hate him. Why is God, why is there suffering on the earth? Because the earth hates him. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. See, this is what's important for us to understand. This this book it, it, it's a revelation of who God is. It's a revelation of a love story. God loves people. God loved the people of Israel, not because they were so amazing, but because they were fewest. And in this loving relationship, He, he became husband to Israel. And all the faithful husband demanded in return was reciprocated love back, just like any marriage, just like any relationship. But those who do not keep the commandments, those who hate him to his face will receive in kind the same judgment. So what we see in the Bible is a love story of Israel's past, of Israel's present, and also Israel's future israel has a future israel has a future so today we're looking at the second part of this uh, current conflict with israel and the palestinians and we're going to see the prediction now for israel and the first prediction for israel is their future the promise to israel Uh, we go back and we remember that the the promise to israel was the abrahamic covenant and. In Genesis 12, the promise of land, the promise of seed, and the promise of a blessing. But see, Israel got fixated on, on, on just a couple of those promises. They got, they got fixated on the land, on the dirt. They got fixated on the blessing of of the descendants, right? Because there was a promise, there's a covenant with Abraham and his descendants from the river to the sea, Genesis 15. There's a promise of a multitude of nations, Genesis 17. But what they missed was the seed. There's a promise of land, seed, and blessing. Well, thankfully, we have the totality of scripture. And Galatians 3.13, beginning at verse 13, tells us this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now remember, the Gentiles were under the law. They were under the old covenant, the Mosaic law. If you obey me, then I will bless you. If you don't obey me, then you are cursed. Not a lot of grace in there. Bring your sacrifice, bring it faithfully, bring it on the day of atonement, make those sacrifice, and that would be the covering for your sin. Well, Christ instead came and redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why was the law a curse? Because nobody could keep it. Nobody could keep the law. The Jews couldn't keep it. We can't keep it. And so having become a cursor for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, now follow along, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith for by grace we're saved through faith, not of our own. It's a gift from God. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. It's done. Verse 16, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. See, most people make the mistake there. They, they go too fast. They run right by it. Land, seed, blessing. Land, seed, blessing. The seed of Abraham has to be his descendants. No, the descendants are part of the blessing. So, well, then what's the seed? And to his seed, he does not say, and to seeds. See, it wasn't the descendants of Abraham. It was his seed. Well, what was the seed? As referring to many, but rather to One. And to your seed, that is Christ. That's unbelievable. What I am saying is this, verse 17, the law which came forth 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it no longer based on a promise, but God granted it to Abraham by means of a promise of a covenant. So what we see here in the, the promise to Israel, remember last week I said we can even see ourselves in this, in this typology. When we see Israel, we see this promise to Israel of land, seed, and blessing. For Israel was the dirt in Israel. The seed is Christ, and the blessing is that his descendants could be saved. Well, that's us too. And our land is eternal land in heaven, right? We, we, we want better than sorry than Israel. Um, And so the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis, it's not clear that really all this is compacted in to what Christ is going to do on the cross. What Christ does on the cross. And so as a Jew, your promise is not tied up in being a Jew. It's tied up in being a follower of Christ. That's what they miss. That's what they're missing Today, and so, Ezek or Exodus twenty three twenty says to Israel the Israelites, if you will obey me, then I will destroy the people in the land of Israel. But as we already know, because we've looked at this, Israel did not obey. So God did not remove the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans the Arabs, the Palestinians. God did not remove them because Israel did not obey. And God promised that if they, Deuteronomy 6, that they followed other gods, he's a jealous God and he would wipe them off the face of the earth. God promised that. God also sent Deuteronomy 7, remember, enter the land, the Lord will clear the nations. Only do not make covenants with them. Do not be unequally yoked with them. And so, Here we are today. Are we on guard or are we equally yoked with the world? Are we equally yoked with this country? Are we equally yoked with our government, with our politics? Cause we're not called to be equally yoked with them. We're called to be equally yoked with God's word. And if you do that, then you will have that promise too, just like Israel does. And so today, God is using the Palestinians as a form of judgment against Israel. Well, the second prediction for Israel's future is the punishment for Israel. When they do this, then they're going to be punished. And the problem is that Israel rejects God from the beginning. How? By accepting foreign ways, by intermarrying with other nations that brought the foreign ways, the adulterous behavior, meaning that that Israel was cheating on God with other gods, cheating on God with other idols, and ultimately becoming disobedient to God's law. We talked last week about how this unequally yoked would, would destroy Israel. Why? Because God is is a racist no it had everything to do with worship one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is you can be from anywhere on the earth you can be any color male female Jew or Gentile there's neither Jew nor Gentile no, no Romans we're all believers under Christ it has nothing to do with race it has to do with obedience and God and his wisdom knew when he was speaking to Israelites. If you go and you worship these other nations, they worship other gods. Those wives that you marry will teach the children and then the children will be half Jew and half Muslim. That's not going to work. Right? So we saw that through the minor prophets that God was in control that God would call Israel to repent. We saw that in Joel. We saw that God is the shepherd. We saw that in Amos and that he will roar like a lion from Zion. We also see in Zechariah last week, we looked at that there will be many nations who will, will, will join the Lord in a day, in that day. What day is that? The day that the Lord is coming when he will strike all the people against Israel. Now at this point you're thinking, it doesn't seem like being an Israelites all that great. There's a lot of punishment for Israel. Well, yes. Why? Because they rebelled against God. And so that's an important thing for us to understand. There's a consequence for disobedience. There's a consequence when you disobey God. There's a consequence when you're not faithful to God. And so even though the land, the dirt, where Israel stands today should be theirs and belongs to them, but in their rebellion, they're going to face opposition. And so when we take a step back and we go, we're trying to understand what's happening today. Why is Israel being attacked? Why is this so horrific? Why does it always happen to Israel? What does it have to do with us as Christians and our future? We're getting there. We're still building up. We're still building up. Well, today we really wanna focus in on the third prediction for for Israel and and, and the third look at their future, and that's the predictions that we see. Turn with me to Romans 11. All that was just kind of repeat and introduction. So back to Romans 11, we want to see the prediction for Israel, and the first prediction is that there is a remnant for His people. What does that mean? Who is in Revelation 11? Well, Romans 11:1. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. Now remember, Paul's writing this. For I too am, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So, so Paul said here, look, God hasn't rejected Israel. I'm an Israelite for Pete's sakes, right? I'm on Israel's side. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people. Let's be clear. What's happening today in Israel is a punishment, not a rejection. God does not reject his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed the prophets. Lord, they've torn down the altars. And I alone are left. And and they are seeking my life. So you see Elijah saying, look, Lord, they're worthless, no good. They worship other gods. They've torn down the altars. I'm the only one who's faithful. And they're trying to kill me. Verse 4. But what is the divine response to him? This is what God says. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee before Baal. You thought you were alone? How arrogant. You thought you were the only one who still worships me? I got 7,000. Well, 7,000 is not all that much when you talk about a nation, but it's not nothing either. And it's more than 12, right? And we saw what God did with 12 faithful men. Verse 5, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant. Why? How? According to God's gracious choice. I don't care if it's Israel or if it's us today. We are saved by God's grace. The difficult thing we're going to find ourselves in today is thinking we're something better than we are. It's easy to say, well, we're better than Israel. Look at them. They're not even doing temple sacrifice. They're not even worshiping God the old covenant way, much less the Christian way. And that would be a great mistake on our part because we are saved by God's gracious choice. Verse 6, But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Do you understand? Do you understand that if we're not saved by grace, if we're saved by how amazing each one of us are, by how much we tithe, by how many weeks in a row we've been to church, how many Bible verses we memorized in Iwana, how many ser- s- sermons we preached, or meals that we get handed out. If, if, if that were the basis of our salvation, then there is no grace. Believe me, when you stand before the throne of God, the only thing you wanna talk about is grace. It's like that game in Monopoly. You, you, know, you hide about 50 of those get-out-of-jail-free cards in there. Lord, I, the only thing I know is Jesus. That's all I know. That Jesus died for my sins. That Jesus paid the price. That Jesus was my sacrifice. That I have faith in Jesus. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose again on the third day. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's all you have is grace. Verse 7. What then? That which Israel seeking for, it had not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Again, the question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? That you were hardened or God hardened you? That, that God hardened Pharaoh first or that Pharaoh was already hardened? See, we reject God. We don't choose God. We're back sassing God and God gives us the worst gift you could ever want given to you that which you want now think about that the things that we want so often are the worst things for us and God says you want to be hard you want to be on your own you want to do it your way you want to not follow me you want to live like the world you got it that's hardening He allows us to harden our hearts. Verse 8, just as it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes, listen to this, eyes to see not, ears to hear not. Well, if I could just see Jesus. Listen, people are going to be walking on the face of the earth for a thousand years in the millennium. And at the end, Satan is going to be released. Jesus is going to be standing there. You know what they're going to do? Reject him to his face. It's not about seeing with your eyes. It's not about hearing. Why? Because now they become hardened and blinded, blinded, just like Saul Verse nine. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution of them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. This is the greatest curse of them all. Lord, please do not let me get so hard that you make me harder. Please forgive me of my sin and and, and help me, Lord, to to repent of this. I do not want my way because that way is futile. That way is destruction. Listen, we don't have a better plan than God's choosing us by his grace. There is no better plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. but, But I No, take the eye out. Erase the eye. God's gracious choice that he chooses us and then showers us with this grace that we could never accommodate. One of my favorite examples of this in the Old Testament is the sacrifice for unknown sin. Whew, that's scary that we have sin in our lives, that we have sin in our camp that we don't even know about that we're blinded to. God graciously saves us from that too. We wouldn't even know how to earn or work that off because we don't even know what's there. We're blinded. We're we're not self-aware. And yet he saves us from that too. I choose saved by grace. Well, the second prediction for Israel that we see is riches of salvation, riches of salvation. So, so Israel has, has the Abrahamic covenant. Israel is punished by, by God because of the rejection of God. But Israel has a future of riches of salvation. Verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? Did they stumble so, so far that it's over for them? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Whoa. So here's a shift. So because of Israel's lack of faith, salvation has now come to the Gentiles. Why? This is fascinating to make them jealous. See, this is a love story. God is in, is in a marriage relationship with Israel. And God is going to use Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Look, I don't need you, Israelites. I've got plenty of Gentiles. Remember, you're the smallest. You're, you're not the greatest. Look at the Gentiles. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. I, I, I can get people who love and adore and worship me anywhere I choose. But notice that part of God's plan to save the Gentiles is also to restore and redeem the Jews. He loves them. He could just leave them. That Look, they, they cheated on me. I'm going to write them a writ of divorce and move on. No, 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 no. I still want you back, baby. Right? And he wants them back. I will use them to bring you back. Now, we get fixated we get all hyped up. Gentiles are saved. That's me. Who cares about the Jews? I mean, you know, they're crazy anyway. And it's like, yeah, but don't miss this. He's saving us both. Verse 12, Now, if the transgression be the riches of the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Look, Paul's going, speaking to the Gentiles and hyping them up, but saying, look, um, as a a Gentile, you know, I speak to his Gentiles to magnify my ministry. My ministry is to the Gentiles, but, verse 14, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen. See, Paul's thinking of his fellow countrymen too. I love you guys. My job is to minister to the Gentiles. I minister to the Gentiles. But if by ministering to you, I can make my fellow countrymen jealous, jealous for what? For rage, hate, no, to save some of them. That's the whole goal to save them, to save them. What a beautiful picture verse 17 it, it might not be all of them but if if we could just save some of them verse 15 for if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead look they might reject they might be in disobedience they might be stubborn and, and we benefit from that the world benefits from that but make no mistake it's a beautiful thing when they accept. And when they accept they will fully be accepted back in. Well <clears throat> we see a another picture a restoration revealed. A restoration revealed. This third prediction. Verse sixteen. And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump also, and if The root be holy, the branches are too. So we're going to see this uh, metaphor, this picture. And Paul begins with this, this concept of leaven and unleavened bread, right? Everybody, everybody would understand this. Everybody understands the leaven and the unleavened bread and you, 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 you don't want leaven in the leaven, right? So we want unleavened bread, pure, perfect, pure. We do this in communion. It's symbolic. But then he says, okay, so we all understand that we don't want leaven. We, we want holy, perfect lump of dough. Now let's transition that into, in, into a tree, into the root system of a tree and the branches of a tree. Verse 16, if the first piece of dough be holy, if you start out with a holy piece of, of dough, then the whole lump is holy. And... Vice versa, if there's elements of unholiness, then the whole lump is un- un- unholy. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, that's us, just in case you didn't know. We're the wild olive, right? We're grafted in, so you got like this, this perfect, pure, olive, Jewish olive tree with flourishing branches and as they start rejecting god the pruner comes in and starts breaking off the branches breaking them off breaking them off snap breaking them off you throw them on the ground but then the wild olive tree is taken that's us and grafted in grafted in the tree you ever seen grafting you put that branch into the like the little nub and you put on you wrap it around with this you know like tape kind of stuff and after a while it just becomes one and so you've got this this tree this olive tree that now has wild olives gentiles and the the former branches being the jews but there's a lot of grafting now grafting in grafting out right if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, that's the perfection. Listen, when that has happened, that's where we're at today. Do not become arrogant toward the branches. But if you are Arrogant! Remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. We are so blessed to have the Old Testament. This is the root that supports us. This is the root system, right? We're the completion of that. We're the fulfillment of that found in Christ. But we're we're not the beginning. We didn't start a new religion as Christians. We're the continuation of this love story. Verse 19, you will say then branches were broken, but branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Did you see the tree? When we came to the tree, it's like Elijah. There's only one left. There's this one little branch. And look at us. Look at all the Gentiles. And You see all the branches and you you look at the tree and all you see is a new Gentile tree. You can't see any Jews because there's the, the remnant so small. So you know what? They're nothing. It's all about us now. No, don't be arrogant toward the branches, but you who are arrogant, remember that's not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. Verse 19, then you will say, but branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. Verse 20. They were broken off. Why? For their unbelief. Why? For their disobedience. Why? For their rejection to God's face. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Well, I thought we were having a good time here. Thought we're talking about the Gentiles and we're all in and He's grafting us. It's just a big giant grafting party and we're flourishing. And now you tell me, don't be conceited, but fear. Fear what? Fear the reality of who we really are. Sinners saved by grace. Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Neither will he spare me neither will he spare us. Right? We fall under the same umbrella as the Israelites. Do not be unequally yoked. Follow, obey my covenants, my precepts, my statutes. Do not commit spiritual adultery. Follow me. Obey me. We fall under the same umbrella. And if we don't obey and follow, then we too can be broken off. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Verse 23, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in... God is able to graft them in again. What a beautiful picture. By the way, God can graft us in, but if we're rebellious, if we're really not genuinely true followers, don't think you can't be grafted out. And by the way, I got more Jews coming. I'm not done with them. That pile that you see there of broken branches, I'm getting ready to do some work here. I'm getting ready to graft them back in. That's the story of the book of Revelation. That's the story of the future of Israel is, you know what? Grafting day is coming. And we're going to talk about that. But first we need to understand our position, their position, and what's taking place today. Because what we're seeing today is a lot of pruning. A lot of, you know, there's a season for gardeners, right? A lot of pruning and grafting and that and you know it's not it's not, you know, the time where you just see all the beautiful flowers sprouting up. This is the pile where you see all the all the leaves stacked, all the branches stacked, and what do we traditionally do with them? We throw them in the burn pile, right? Verse twenty four For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. It's so easy for the Jew to accept the Messiah. They believe in the Messiah. They want the Messiah. They hope in the Messiah. They just need to change the name to Jesus. It would be so easy. It would be so easy for them to understand that the, the animal sacrifice, the blood sacrifice that atones for sin, that pays for sin, that is the scapegoat for sin is Jesus, right? It's so easy for them to see that. But remember, their eyes have been blinded because of their hard heart. That's what state they're in today. That's where they're at today. And so we see that there's future things that need to happen. And this is so beautiful. God doesn't want us to be uninformed. He doesn't want us to be sitting here. What's going on in Israel? Why the heck is it always Israel? What's the deal in Israel? Verse 25, for I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. So what's happening is Israel's partial hardening's happening so they're in a state of rebellion, so they're being punished, just like they always have. Right? We've done a couple cruises through, and they've always been punished. Why? Because they disobey, because they commit spiritual adultery, and so will you, and so will I. But here's this beautiful thing that's, that God has in plan. God's got a plan. This is all part of God's love story, right? That I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So make sure you caught that. God has a plan for Israel. The pile of Israel that's been broken off. He can't wait to graft them back in. But you know what he can't wait for first? To graft us in first. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to destroy. He's on a mission to save us from our sins. That's the love story. God is trying to save everybody as many as he possibly can. And so he's waiting, waiting, waiting to add the Israelites until all the Gentiles have come in to fulfill to fullness. What what a sweet promise to all of us. Verse twenty six. And thus, and then after that happens. After that happens, remnant. Thus, all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. Listen. We go back to the Abrahamic covenant. Does God keep his covenants for thousands of years, generation to generation? Because if he keeps the Abrahamic covenant, then I can come to Romans eleven twenty-seven and say, he'll also keep this covenant. And I can also, and you can also have confidence that he will keep his promise to save us and to have eternity in heaven for us. Because he's a promise keeper. God's the promise keeper. God's the covenant keeper. Verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God, God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irre- 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 irrevocable. Wow, easy for you to say. Almost as... God didn't take him back, right? It's like Porky Pig. He's not taking it back. He made the promise. He made the covenant. He is going to complete it with or without you. He's moving forward in his plan. Verse 30, For just as you were once disobedient, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. What's mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. You deserve a whooping. You deserve a consequence for disobedience. You deserve eternity in hell. And here's God laying out a plan to say, you know what? You you deserve hell, but I've got a mercy plan for you. I've got a forgiveness plan. Verse 32, for God has shut up all disobedience that he might show mercy to all. You know, the teenage girls or whatever, you know, have that, that phrase, shut up. Right? It's like God saying, you know what? Shut up. I've got a better plan. It's a plan of reconciliation by my mercy. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. That's the response. Can you believe this? Are you getting your minds wrapped around this? This is thousands of years in this one chapter. Covenants, promises, Gentiles, Jews, Jews, People from all over the world, all different times, all different backgrounds, grafted in, grafted out. It's mercy. It's grace. It's, it's punishment. It's, it's everything. Holy moly, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Unfathomable are his ways. Keep that in mind when you're thinking about the future and the history or, or the future of Israel and this modern day conflict. You do not know God's judgments. You do not know his ways. You do not fully understand and comprehend all that's taking place today. Oh foolish man, you think you have it figured out? There's so many videos right now and books that have been written about, I know what's happening Do you realize that in our lifetime since just 1948 Israel has been in five major wars and as I mentioned before daily missile attacks they're always under siege. That's why we have many 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 books of people saying this is it this is it this is it this is it. I don't know if this is it. This is just the way it is. And so to project that you know and you understand exactly God's timeline and His ways, be careful. Revert back more to the fear and to the faith than to the I know. And we're going to talk about this next two weeks. Verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who, I love this, who became His counselor? You? Me? May it never be or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Uh, he doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. For from, ha, from him, this goes back to our very the very first thing of understanding what being thankful is about. It's not about you, it's about him. It's from him. It's through him. It's to him, all things. to him be the glory forever. Amen. I hate that there's suffering and pain and death in war. When I read the scriptures, I see death and pain and suffering and war throughout mankind. It's it's part of the result of man's sinful nature to not be able to live at peace. To not be able to live at peace. It's our fault. Don't blame God. It's our fault. It's Israel's fault. It's the Palestinians' fault. Okay? So some applications. First, remember, the church, we don't replace Israel. We have our promises and Israel has theirs. But we don't replace them. There's, there's two varieties of Of fruit on this tree that have been grafted in by grace. The other application, despite rejecting God and despite God's discipline, despite God using the Canaanites, the Philistines, Babylonians, Palestinians, God still has a plan for Israel. He's got a plan and they're not going anywhere. They will not go anywhere. You would have to defeat God in order for that to happen. So it's not about defeating Hamas or the Palestinians or Islam. This is a God thing. It's not about the dirt. Okay. It's not about the dirt. The dirt is the, the least important part of this. We, 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 we have a, a, a new covenant. We have a new covenant. Jeremiah 31 gives us this picture of not the old covenant, But the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 34, behold, days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Israel was separated into two nations at this time. Not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I make with the house of Israel after those day, days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach again. Each man, his, his neighbor and each man, his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This is a love story. It's the, it's the, the story of the prodigal son who, who leaves the father and goes out and sows his oats and comes home. And the father is waiting and willing with open arms to receive him back, to throw him a party, to save him. To save him. Christianity is such a beautiful picture it's not about you being so amazing. We're not amazing. We're, if we all get to know each other better, just one inch deeper, we, we know how unamazing we all are. But we're going to fight. We're going to fight sin. And we're going to continue on. in Romans 12, just goes into the next step. So with with this knowledge and information that we have, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Just, just, Just do the best you can to be holy to follow God's commandments, to repent. And verse two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we're so overwhelmed by your word. It's so beautiful. This perfect plan of land, seed, and blessing. Lord, to know that Christ is the seed who redeems us and saves us us from our sin. And in this new covenant relationship, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same tree. But Lord, things need to happen first. Lord, there's, there's a, a continuation of, of the story. There's a, a fulfillment of the time of the Gentiles. There's a grafting in of all of Israel. And so, Lord, we patiently wait for this to happen, knowing that, that at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is for salvation. The details are the details. The big picture is to seek and save the lost. Lord, we're so thankful that you opened our eyes to grace. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.